welcome to episode 13 of Horus Heretics. I'm Neil. And I'm William. And we are here to talk uh, about book seven of the Horus Heresy, Legion by Dan Abnett, or as we call him, the daddy. <laughs> big, The big man. The big man, uh, big Dan. Danzo. Danzo. Uh, uh, and before we get stuck in, do you remember uh, a few episodes ago, Will, I said that I was like quite nervous because I told some friends about this podcast. <laughs> yeah. that I didn't How'd that turn out? Yeah, well, uh, they did listen, but right. everything's fine. Okay, good. Because uh, they didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, decided to stop listening. Didn't think it was any good. So, <laughs> so it's good to have friends. You can't, you can't say this at the start of a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was around uh, friends a few weeks ago for uh, Canadian Thanksgiving and uh, got a bit drunk and sort of brought it up. I think it was then. And uh, she was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I did listen. Um, yeah, uh, not really my thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, fuck him. I mean, this is a downer to start a podcast on. <laughs> Yeah, well, I always like. Um, yeah, I always like to do that. Really. <laughs> uh, okay, let's change it up a bit. You texted me just today. You want us to go to the Warhammer Weekender. <laughs> well, I like. You're that no, it's kind not the Warhammer Weekender. It's specifically the Black Library Weekender. So this is this is like the niche of the niche. This is like. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap, but it's specifically for people that like the fiction oh. and not necessarily the games. I think there might be some opportunities for games there, but it's it's a Black Library, like, total weekender about the output of the Black Library with authors and all sorts. It's actually happening, like, this year's one's happening, like, in, like, a week or two. Oh. Uh, so I don't think we're going to go to that one, but, well, you know, unless. Um, <laughs> but, uh, actually, to tell you, the legitimately, the reason I wouldn't want to go to it is, like, I don't want spoilers. Uh, and if you're and if you're going to go to like talks by people that have written the books, you're going to hear all the chat about what's going on right now, which is going to be like the sort of books that are wrapping up. I'm like, ah, nah, that's going to. Um, it's hard enough for us to get through sixty to seventy of these books as it is. I want some storyline surprises to keep yeah. us going. Yeah, fair enough. I get that. Um, but I think it would be fun. So, uh, it would be a fun weekend potentially. So, so if there were only talks dedicated to the first six or seven books and, and absolutely yeah. nothing else you'd that would be more your thing <laughs> yeah yeah if I, if I could have gone to it like 10 years ago maybe you know or whatever oh god i bet but, you that would be a dark and murky yeah convention. yeah i think it'd be better now somehow i think it'd just be a bit more i don't uh, know man i'm not a convention person they all they, they make you queue up for stuff and that's my least favorite thing in the world yeah i i mean i'm not well, if it was like board games, entirely board games, that's good. But uh, <laughs> there's not really any other types of convention that I'd particularly want to spend that amount of time at. Yeah. Um, but I just mean from a purely, you know, journalistic point of view. <laughs> it's <the kind> of <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. Oh, that is such shit, man. <laughs> Man, no, we have to like full from purely, coverage. From a purely academic point of view, you'll be there with your little clipboard and pen, 
taking notes. Um, <laughs> no, I'm saying if we did go, if we did go one year, it would have to be like total coverage. You know, interviews. Absolutely uh, not. Documentary. If, if we did go one year, it would be heavily hooded and masked. <laughs> Uh, with no recording equipment, would have to have some of those like Hong Kong laser things that um, like shift your face so that facial recognition can't detect you. Are you talking about the stuff in this book where, um, what was the line? There was a brilliant line about uh, his having an incoherent face at one point, but we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't note that one down, so so uh, I think you've shot your bolt there a little bit early. But <laughs> no, no, it's coming back. It's coming back, okay. Well... That's the that's lead in. Let's get stuck into this book, Legion by Dan Abnett. Now, Just to say, we've done really well there. The last couple of episodes we've recorded, it's taken us at least 15 minutes to actually start talking about the thing we're meant to be talking about. So, oh, I mean, we can under- do that. I, I literally have got nothing more to say to you. No, 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 no. Let's carry on. I'm just <laughs> noticing, notice. I'm just pointing that out. Okay. Um, okay, before we even start, <laughs> sorry. So, uh, I'm, sort of <laughs> um, before we start, this is on like one of the first pages of the books. I don't think we've even mentioned these before, but often, I think maybe in most, if not all, books, they have these terrible little quotes that are in-universe quotes, and in this one, it is just as bad as all the rest of them. The quote is: "God has given you one face, and you make yourself another." which is attributed to the dramaturge Shakespeare of the second millennium. <laughs> and I, oh, the cringe, the, oh, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Um, you've seen Garth Marenghi, haven't you, Will? Uh, not all of it. I've seen a bit of it, yeah. In one of the, I, th- I think it's the first episode, there is just a black screen and a really banal know nothing Shakespeare quote from Hamlet I think and it, it is just so that it it is just so Garth Marenghi and I, I like to think I had that in mind when I was reading through the rest of the book Do you know what was really funny about that right when you introduced this as a topic of conversation I don't know if this was actually like uh you know vague unlabeled memory of actually reading the quotes in this very book but I was about to say oh yeah yeah like when they say something like Dramaturge Shakespeareus, and I was like, "That's the actual one in the spring." Yeah, um, and also Herodotus, an antique proverb, and of course the Al- the Primarch Alpharius is in there as well. Okay, he, he is the equal of those. I think I've written down one or two of his quotes uh, coming up, but we'll get to those. Okay. So the setting we're on, we're in some place called Tel Yutan on Nerth. The Nerthine are the enemies in this book of the Imperium. And this is set two years before the heresy. Right at the start, it it actually works quite well what Dan Abnett does here, in that he uses a lot of unusual terms that sort of give a bit of colour and a bit of individuality to the army legions and the, the landscape and the world. But right off the bat, it is very hard to know like what the fuck is going on um i wrote down this particular sentence of word salad um lon one of sonica's bashaws had already snapped the nerthine's falks with his lignite and flung the broken stump away over the rim of the wadi now i knew about three or four of those words in that sentence the rest of them i was like "Mm, i don't know what any of that means 
I know what a wadi is, sort of, um, but the rest of them I don't. And yeah, this was well. I know obviously it's normal words in there, but I mean like, yeah, I had I had the same feeling at the start of this book, which is, you know, perhaps surprisingly, I don't feel like there's been too much of that so far. But maybe it's because I already knew some of the terminology with this setting. There's not been too many times when I've thought it's one of those sci-fi things where it's like. You know, they just sort of dive into the yeah. stuff of the fiction and use all this term, term terminology, and you're just like, "What are you talking about?" And um, this was, yeah, there were there were moments like that where I. Um, but you do you do pick it up. You pick it up naturally yeah, yeah. over over yeah. time. Um, so the Geno Five Two Chiliad is the oldest brigade, one of the oldest brigades in the Imperial Army, and that is the sort of overarching brigade i guess that all of the smaller squads that we will see in this story uh, are constituent parts of sonica is one of the main characters he's the leader of the dancers that's a squad within that brigade um, and they've been on the planet for months struggling against the natives of nerth and just getting pretty much nowhere in their quest for compliance yeah, and that's a, a a thing worth noting is this book, perhaps more than any of the Horus Heresy books so far, a well, no, that's not true. There's a lot of focus on the remembrancers in the early books, but this this book focuses on uh, not on the Astartes for the most part, but on these um, army units and and yeah. uh, leaders and and stuff, and and I think that is kind of I think that might be kind of. Uh, in in Dan Abnett's wheelhouse because he I think one of his one of the sort of most well regarded of his books or a series of books for uh, the Black Library is Gaunt's Ghosts which is about um, like an Imperial Guard unit or whatever um, and I haven't read them or maybe started with one once because someone said oh, I should totally read this but I didn't really get into it but I think that's like you know, I mean, that's the yeah. thing he's written quite a bit, and you could you could sort of tell from like he had his sort of army chat down. He, yeah, definitely. Um, and I haven't read those either, but uh, yeah, I have heard that. And it, at this point in the book, I was thinking the same thing as as what you've just said, and pleased about it because we sort of had a conversation last episode or or, or something where we agreed that the the weakest part of these books are the ones uh, set amongst the Astartes and the Primarchs. Um, so, yeah, it just gives you so much, so many more tools to, to use in telling a story, I think. so. Yeah, it allows for more variety, um, I think. Uh, and this, you know, there's, I mean, that being said, I am getting mixed up between some characters a little bit, but... Uh, uh, yeah, and, and although it starts off like that, it's like he couldn't avoid... The fact that these aren't just normal humans; these are genetically <laughs> genetically grown, uh, cloned people, really, uh, in very like the Astartes, but just not quite. Yeah, it does actually refer to a bit of the prehistory of the set, and when the emperor had been kind of one of a number of factions on Earth. And was kind of basically trying to unify the Earth through violence. The Geno Two Five or whatever they were called at that time, they were on the go at that point, and or he took some inspiration for his like Astartes 
project or whatever from their practices i think yeah but that 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 was said by uh what, what's the legion called again <laughs> that i'm missing alpha legion the, the alpha legion oh god the most easy one to remember uh that was said by one of the alpha legion and they just lie all the time oh yeah so that's yeah, true. it could be it could be faked i mean in that sense i do i do i have definitely mixed feelings about this book right but so far um but i do quite like it that he's gone all in with the the concept of the alpha legion not just in how they're portrayed but in like in that dictating the whole feel of the book you know which is all yeah. about subterfuge and uh, deceit and lying and intrigue and it's like to the point that actually at times i was a bit like am i meant to know what's happening here yeah. or is it like am <laughs> yeah. i waiting for a reveal or am i have i missed something you know or did i forget something that i read in the first few chapters they, they do feel like the only genuinely different legion uh yeah every all the rest of them uh, all the authors have just said oh these are this legion is so totally different and they do not get on with other legion and you're like no they're exactly the same uh, i've just read these books last week i've read them all these these guys are different and that's quite nice even though they are all they are all dicks yeah it's kind of like they're kind of like I don't know, like SAS Space Marines or something. You know what I mean? They're like yeah. special forces sort of guys that creep about in the darkness. And I, I find it quite—it's been quite an intriguing first half of the book. So I don't really know where things sit, and it's not just completely like, "Oh, he'll be chaos soon, and he's a bad guy," you know, and and yeah. he's going to be the sort of stoic good one till yeah. the end. And it's all a bit mixed up, and I, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. So I've got a quote about Sonica the uh, leader of the dancers okay. I, I, I'd like your input on this because I, I can't quite put my finger on why I, I hate this line so much it's the description of, of him he, he had a striking angular head with hard cheeks and jaw lines a pointed chin and a generous full lipped mouth full of gleaming white teeth that women find especially attractive <laughs> it's that last bit definitely it's the, it's, I think it might be the word especially like yeah. the women find it especially attractive. I, I it, it it will not be my last quote regarding Dan Abnett's writing of women. <laughs> oh yeah, there's some quite strange. There's some creeptastic uh, words coming up later on, but I, um, it's, it's I, I'm not sure whether we should talk about them as being written by Dan Abnett or whether you know he's giving the these creepy lines to creeps in the story yeah, yeah. so um, yeah no there is like stuff that women are a more much more prominent part of this novel characters uh, the characters within this novel than they have been probably for most of the other ones uh certainly the last one as, as you we, we mm-hmm. um discussed uh because it's part of the structure of this uh geno i don't really even know exactly how it works but basically like they've got women who serve as kind of leaders um within the structure of it who are known as uxers yeah. but they can only serve until they're like in their sort of late 20s or something because they, they all have a sort of innate psychic ability but it's quite weak and it burns out they, they push themselves too hard and when they burn out they have to um sort of make way for the 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 next rank of these younger uxors coming up yeah and they like 
I can't remember how it all worked, but there was some weird thing about how there was it. Yeah, let's let's save that because there's a bit that comes up and okay. it is really it's it's despicable, uh, but like it's despicable in in fiction. But anyway, uh, so that's Sonica. Her Tato Bronzy is his counterpart. They're at a, a similar level. They both lead squads, and he leads the Jokers. And they are surrounding uh, the city, and he's awaiting the dancers' return. Uh, her Tato Bronzy is a bit of a, a bit of a Joker, a bit of a slob. Uh, he's a very good soldier, but he's I maybe think he hasn't been tested in a while, and he's just sort of rested on his laurels. Uh, a little bit and he's just kind of like he's depicted as like a character you know in inverted oh yeah everyone e- everyone loves old old bronzo <laughs> which they don't call him <laughs> that's me uh one of the uxors that uh will just mentioned is uxor honan moo uh she's in uh the sort of position of authority relating to sonica and and bronzy and they sort of take their orders from her, it seems. Uh, but it's a, it's kind of a friendly relationship. It's not quite so stuck in the mud as a lot of the uh, the uh, the relationships between higher ups in the previous books, and it kind of works quite well. Yeah, I mean, it's, as far as the writing in this book goes, it's like I don't I don't know quite how to sum it up, you know, because like. So some really clunky, weird choice of words at times. Yeah. Um, but the thing overall does kind of zip along at a reasonably effective pace, and you know works reasonably well as a novel. And obviously, he's got pretty significant credits in terms of writing for. I mean, we discussed this in a previous episode. Writing for various sort of genre fiction yeah. things, whether it's in comic books or games or novels. So, like, he obviously is seen as being capable of doing that. And, like, it's not, it's definitely, there's something there to his ability, but some really bad lines as well. But. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he, clearly he knows his military history because, like, a lot of the ranks uh, of the soldiery here uh, relate to, like, ranks in the Ottoman Empire. Right. And a lot of the places are derived from current Ukrainian place names. Right, right. So uh, there were one or two that I recognised and had been to, and so I was obviously on his side from this point. And um, there there was like Ottoman and Mongol uh, influence in early Ukraine as well. So he's, uh, he's taking things from Earth history and sort of building upon them and stuff, and I'm a bit of a fan of that. There's a lot of stuff mixed in, um, in the mix, like you say, but the setting is sort of broadly kind of a Middle Eastern type setting, isn't it, basically? Yeah, th- this this planet, unfortunately, is uh, a desert planet full of space Arabs, and it's not great that these... It didn't feel comfortable, me reading this book of chaos-following Nerthine space Arabs. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you can imagine it's a transplanted to sci-fi version of some like historical military fiction about the British Empire or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I, on sort of on the flip side of that, I guess, like later on we get to the 
Lord Commander of the Imperial Forces in this planet, and he's like, in terms of the name, his name and yeah. Um, his sort of cultural influences. He's kind of, I think, like Indian. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's a lot of uh, people from uh, clearly from from India and Bangladesh and and that part of the world. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very easy to think that all the Imperials are white. Um, well, that's yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like you sort of, it was sort of refreshing to see that the Imperium isn't like just sort of you know Western essentially. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. Uh, uh, which obviously wouldn't make much sense if it's like a world, a true world Imperium, but you could kind of imagine some people might write it like that, you know, where... Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I would say maybe the Astartes seem to be pretty much Western at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. So it's like the, the Imperium within the Imperium. But anyway, um, enough enough being bogged down by uh, shitty Imperialists. Uh, let's kill something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at this point, uh, we see our first Astartes, or uh, what is called at the time a specialist, and he tells Bronzy to stay within the boundaries of the camp uh, and not go out looking for Sonica and the dancers uh, who haven't uh, arrived back from their recce outside of the, the camp walls because something is happening that needs to happen. And he names himself as Alfarius, which is not the last time we will hear that name. There's a large explosion and all kinds of shit starts happening outside of the camp. And we learn that the dancers have been used as bait in order to draw the native Nerthian forces out and attack them. And uh, the Alpha Legion have used that to identify their positions and just fucking pile in and kill them. And so they that they sort of win this was it a siege or some sort of conflict over this set town that had been lasting a long time. Yeah, this good bit good quote comes up. Um arms and heads flipped into the air, arterial blood squirted, truncated bodies fell like sacks, a few carbines fired, but it was hardly a proper reply. Now that's what we've been waiting for. A bit of like <laughs> a bit of truncated bodies falling like sacks. Sonica survives but most of his men are wiped out but sonica has half his hand uh cut off like down the in between his fingers and it's kind of made clear to both bronzy and to sonica that they had been used as bait like they didn't try and hide it they didn't say um oh your sacrifice was uh, heroic they just said yeah that's what happens in war yeah and then he ends up at a place called Visages that I just Visage, yeah, which is should have just called Faces, yeah, um, cause it, yeah, okay. yeah, true. Um, and uh, but so called because there's lots of uh, like stone heads scattered all over the the ground at this place, and it's kind of what is that place? It's like a, it's like a convalescent a base home for yeah, just for back from veterans back from the wines. recovering. Yeah, so Sonic is a convalescing with a guy called Dimitar Shiban. Uh, and Bronzy appears. Bronzy isn't injured, and they're like, "Why? Why are you here?" Uh, and Bronzy sort of prevaricates a little bit, uh, but in the end, they get it out of him that he feels bad and he wants to tell Sonica that the Alpha Legion kind of sacrificed his his team. Or Sonica was like, "Oh, I I knew that already. Did you know that they are also they also all say that they are Alpharius? 
they don't like showing their true faces so that yeah, nobody gets to know them. You know, it's all secretive hush-hush nonsense. Yeah, yeah. They find a dead body. And this is the bit when I was reading the rest of the book today, I was, I was like, did I forget something about this? Because <laughs> it kept on being referred to. I sort of remembered a dead body being found, but it was all just a bit hazy in my memory. No, I... I, I remembered it, but I thought I was the only one that did. Because I was like, what about the dead fucking body? <laughs> because they find a body, and it's not a normal body. It has a cadmium centrifuge in its heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what about the cadmium centrifuge? <laughs> <laughs> that is not something I would forget. I'm thinking no. like... I mean, I did. <laughs> and you did, and you did. and you, You're one of the Imperials, frankly. I mean, just like, yeah, I don't know. After reading like six of these books, the words cad- cadmium <laughs> centrifuge don't even like well, much I've, of an impact. I've highlighted that in green. Yeah, I, he also had a brand of a snake on his hip. But he... Um, so, But he was dressed up as one of the dancers, wasn't he? He was, but uh, the um, Sonica being the the commander of the dancers knew all the dancers and he was like no that's not one of us so yeah. it's um they they think we've been inf- infiltrated here the nerthine are a kind of snake reptile worshipping cult uh so they assume you know that they have spies in their midst and yeah. uh what they want to do is talk to somebody about this uh, get the higher ups to to know about this and they call honan moo and, uh, well, Bronzy does. Sonica is sort of standing, just listening. There's a too long bit about encrypting the communications, and I did not need that at all. I was just like, just say it was over an encrypted channel. Dan's got to, got to show that he's been reading military history somewhere. Okay. Know. Yeah, I understand <laughs> that. Yeah, it's it's true. So they, they tell uh, Honan Moo about possible infiltration, and she says, right, who did you tell about this? And what you need to do is take a speeder, bring the body to a, a rendezvous point where uh, they can pick you up. And they do. The The speeder takes all night and uh, they get to the coordinates that they were given. But there's only a space marine there. And he explodes. Uh, what's his name? Dimitar Shiban shoots him and he explodes it's uh pretty gross uh you think he's going to kill bronzy enter a new character into the book uh old thousand year old john grammaticus yeah a terrible he's a big, name he's a big part of this what uh um, what does that name mean um, you know latin don't you <laughs> of the grammar john of the grammar. <laughs> yeah well yeah uh grammaticus like teaches it's like a rhetorician teaches speaking a grammaticus teaches like grammar but he uh central to this story in a way he seems to tie a lot of it together i i have read a book or two uh in you know future in in the series that uh talks that that has him as a character and um i don't really remember anything about this so this is obviously his first appearance he's part of the cabal I could be wrong about this, but I think this is the th- the the same group that popped up in the last book and talked to the protagonist in the forest. I I assumed as much. Um, I couldn't remember if they named themselves the Cabal in the last one, but it kind of 
their whole thing in the last book, they they didn't play a central role, but they just said that all they do is fight against the universal evil, the primordial annihilator, as it was called. And that's what the Cabal seemed to do. So that's what I thought as well. Yeah, yeah. I think because they were sort of depicted from the point of view of Zahariel in the last book, he he didn't know who they were, and so that like here it's from an insider's perspective, so he knows the terminology to call them. But it seems right, like they're yeah. describing the same. He's a very powerful uh, psyker, and he can instantly knows and can speak and understand any language that he uh, encounters at all. Uh, which is kind of the best superpower I can really think of, to be honest. I would love that ability. I mean that that's cool, and he also can, but he also can basically do like Jedi mind tricks. Essentially, can't he? He can like, yeah, suggest th- people that, to do things. That's explained less well, it, but that's all part of his ability with speech. It seems. Yeah, it's all sort of sort of speech related uh, uh, but he has also been granted the ability to never die it seems he's he's granted that isn't he like he's given that by the cabal I think well, rather than it being I don't think it's been fully explained uh, uh, but it, they do talk about his first life and when he was brought back and then yeah he, he has uh, met the emperor in his first life uh, before uh, the unity wars or during the unity wars yeah um, yeah he met him and shook his hand and during that handshake the emperor knew how strong a, a psyker john grammaticus was but john grammaticus knew how weak he was in comparison to the emperor they talk a little bit about being a psyker he's a high functioning psyker he, he sort of plays parts throughout history um doing work for the cabal and at the minute he's playing the part of Koenig Henniger, who is uh, an intelligence agent, and he's spying on the Nerthine for the Imperium. And yeah. he, he's talking with uh, a, a different Uxor, Uxor Roxana. And he they, he goes into a little bit of detail, or no, excuse me, the author goes into a little bit of detail about, about Uxors. Uh, and they their perceptive psychic abilities and and how they use a sort of uh, rank of of younger, soon to be Uxors to boost their these perceptive abilities, um, and there is a bit uh, which is gross um, about all the all the women all these Uxors have their ovaries removed and the. The eggs used in the production of these gene-grown soldiers, um, who fill out the ranks of that uh, of the Chiliad, and it seems, first off, it seems really gross that women can be put in position of power only after their you know the ability to be a mother is sort of surgically removed from them yeah yeah uh, and, uh, and there was some there was some language almost yes to that effect. yes there, there is this line this in ways not entirely understood freed their minds yeah oh god i mean that is in fiction but jesus christ <laughs> you know um yeah and also there is uh there is this line as well the technical inability to conceive made most Uxor aids gruesomely promiscuous. 
Grammaticus was repelled by the lurid, shallow thoughts that washed towards him. The aides were all thinking about the next soldier boy they'd hump. Is that a literal quote? Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember the thing about, I remember the phrase gruesomely promiscuous. Yeah. And it was just like, so it just seems very um, moralizing or I don't know, wait, that's not even the right word, but just actually repelled by the notion of... Of open um, sexuality. It's, yeah. It is, um, it's, it's that horrible word. It's problematic. It's, I'd hate, it's, I hate that the use of that word, but I know because it doesn't. It's because it's like so. It doesn't actually s- describe anything. You know what I mean? It's it, like yeah. it's, I need. Yeah, it's, it's a, a, amorphous. My re- uh, the fact that I'm repulsed by it is in a very amorphous way, and I can't quite put my finger on. It's because what it's it because is. it it's because it is amorphous. The term yeah uh, problematic, and uh, I think yeah, that's that's why people use it because like you, sometimes you read something and you're like. This is there's something about this yeah. that's just not sitting right with me, but you can't quite define it. Which is, you know, that's understandable. It's not, but I think the term pro just settling on the term problematic rather than like working out what the problem is is can be a bit of a cop out. Like I understand why you might use it first off because you haven't really figured it out yet, you know. But um, yeah, it can't just be. Well, anyway, let's move beyond it. I just thought it would be remiss not to talk about that because Jesus Christ, it is. Um, yeah. It is so weird. Um, yeah. But he is he is sort of playing the part of a James Bond spy here, just going, oh, I'm so incredibly brave. Oh, it's no, it's no problem for a man like me. And, oh, Grammaticus. Yeah, Grammaticus, yeah, that's right. Grammaticus is talking to uh, Roxana about what he had just been doing, which is spying on the Nerthine in this, what seems to be the the last main holdout or perhaps a, a capital city called Monlo. And he had just been in there spending a few days hiding as a, a Nerthine trader. And he talks a little bit about the, the Nerthine don't have any interplanetary travel or anything like that. But it's clear that this had been a spaceport uh, from thousands and thousands of years ago um so obviously there is some uh, there is some history of contact with this with this race yeah and and grammaticus knows all about a lot of stuff from his being part of the cabal that he sort of tells yeah some amount of to to the people is exactly that none of this is actually information that he gained from spying it is all from information that he knows as being part of the cabal and he's just feeding them pieces of information to sort of uh finagle his way into the wheels of power and to like force them along a particular path so that they do the cabal's bidding but do it of their own free will or so they think he talks to Roxana and says that oh I could fall in love with her in his own head he's like a little bit of me could fall in love with her bam they have sex and he he does fall in love with her instantly it is so completely unbelievable and there is a clanging line about sex one of the most clangy lines and I like bad sex scenes in books like they are they are a favourite this clangs like, oh my god, right, I've got it here. The sex had been exceptional. <laughs> <laughs> that's not it. Written that's not like it. someone who doesn't have a lot. Of sex. 
written like a 15-year-old writing fan fiction. Uh, Okay, let me get through this. The sex had been exceptional. The emotional intimacy had almost reduced him to tears. God, that is so mental. (laughs) It is rough. Yes, so that's actually, because, yeah, now that you mention it, that's actually the point at which they first got together then. Because I kind of, later on in the book, I was kind of assuming that had been the state since the... You know, since before the book picked up, basically. But no, that was that was it. Yeah. So then he goes. Back he goes back. To yeah. And around about the same time, I'm not sure what order it happens in the book, but the uh, the place with all the. Stone what do you mean? You don't know. Around. You don't know what order it happens in the book. You well, read it today. Like, uh, no, well, <laughs> most of, most of it today. <laughs> but even still. <laughs> I could say all the stuff I read and today I could put back in the right order if I had to. But anyway, what's his name? Sonica at the place with all the stone faces. They get attacked there, don't they? And yes, that's a good point. Um, yeah, so after Bronzy leaves, the whole place gets uh, attacked. The Nerthine secretly infiltrate and it kind of kill everyone apart from Sonica and a few of the of his team. Yeah, really about it. So anyway, yeah, uh, Grammaticus going back into Mon Wool. This bit was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, Um, very good. He goes in and he's meant to be, he's looking for something. We know he's looking for something. I'm not sure if he's made it totally clear what he's looking for, but he he starts realizing that he's being tracked in some way, like psychically. Yeah, and being sort of turned around almost. Yeah, he's been kind of led a certain way and he dives into... Um, a house, basically, or a building, and um, to sort of take shelter. Before before he gets there, he, he finds himself at like the central hub, like a square, and there's a big statue in front of him, and it shows the objects of worship of um, the Nerthine, which are the four faces of the primordial annihilator, oh, which yeah. are death, ecstasy, mortality, and mutability. And obviously all the four gods of chaos stand for each one of those. But yeah, 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 that's obviously what it is. But when I read that, I was like, like calling one of them death, one of them mortality. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, yeah. And um, like ecstasy, mutability? It's a bit really? of a rubbish word. Like, <laughs> yeah, for the, they should have just called it change or, um, <laughs> and the, the, and like mortality, which is presumably Nurgle and death being corn. They should have had, that as like disease or decay or something, you know what I mean? It was just it was a bad choice of I, I did have a, a thought about another session of, of really high quality writing that we should do. Because <laughs> right. death and mortality are essentially the same thing. And yeah. mutability is part of that. Our mutability sort of sits above all of that because those are those are yeah, bits forms of, of that. change. Yeah. So like we, we actually have a ranking within the uh the what would you call it? The pantheon, and then we put right. we put a something above it, like a head god, who's right. cool, <laughs> a new chaos. God. Yeah, like some just someone really cool. Maybe cool. Maybe maybe that's the, the <laughs> cool. <is it>? <laughs> <laughs> just like really fucking chill. <laughs> maybe, but that's remember, a, we need to be yeah. drunk whenever we do that. But remember, in our universe, corn's dead. That's an important bit of continuity that you have to absolutely correct so we would need to again we would need to write that in but let, we're not going to do that right now so okay. yeah sorry uh john grammaticus sort of ducks into this house to get off the street and to yeah 
and uh, then he's confronted in this building by uh, a big space marine who's calling himself Alpharius and uh, in the shadows a person who clearly has psychic power um, but also has, according to the book, uh, a lack of a coherent face, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> I was like, what the hell does that mean? Um, <laughs> it means he, he, he hid his face. Yeah, well, he's like, yeah, he's got some sort of power that hides his face. It didn't really explain that at first. I was like, (laughs) yeah, later on it says, like, he has a hood. And you're like, okay, I get that. I totally understand that. But it's also he's doing some sort of magic on his face. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, like, at that time you're thinking, what? You know, um, (laughs) they quickly, they're like, the Space Marines, like, calling him a traitor and stuff or something. Or not a traitor, but a. Something like that. They, they they have a bit of a conversation about the nature of chaos at this point. <laughs> oh yeah, because oh, yeah. he, he <laughs> Alpharius says it's just one of it's just one of the many. It's just one of the one of the litany of Xenos hazards. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. That's I, I wrote this down because I think it's quite important. Um, Grammaticus's response to that is sort of like, Pfft. and he says the simplest name for it is chaos. You've numbered it in the litany of Xenos hazards, have you? Then you know it only as a child knows the world. It has always been and always will be, and compared to it, nothing. Not mankind, ma- not mankind, not the Imperium, not the Emperor's mighty design is of any consequence. Unchecked, it will poison and stagnate the galaxy. Fueled and driven, it will destroy everything. The Cabal wanted you to see it properly, to see it with your own eyes, so that you would take it, so that you would take its message seriously. He's saying that the reason why the um, space marines that of the Alpha Legion have come to this planet has actually been part of the Cabal design that they have yeah. planted uh, these things throughout the past sort of five and ten years to make this world seem of interest to the Alpha Legion. Yeah, chaos is certainly manifesting here anyway. And they, so he gets in and speaks to the, the, the two of them, the, the space marine and the person in the shadows with the lack of a Hikian face. <laughs> sheer. And they, uh, sheer, yeah. And uh, so they're like... Can I can I he, sort of stop you and just say a very short line uh, sure. of it's bad writing. Um, sheer is talking about the, um, the plan that the Cabal put in place in order to um, get the Alpha Legion here. He sort of gasps. He says, great terror, Sheer breathed. That's astonishing. The level of influence, of access, the strategy, the patience. Incredible. Such subtle manipulation. <laughs> that is that that's stage directions. You shouldn't yeah. you shouldn't put that in the mouth of a character. Yeah, so um Yeah, and they so they're sort of acknowledging his skills and subterfuge and whatnot. And he sort of says back to them, well, you were really clever and leading me here as well. Um, and they and then they sort of figure out, wait a minute, we didn't do all that. <laughs> and they realize... You give us too um, much credit. <laughs> there's like some sort of forces from the, the area are um, are monitoring him and, and them, I guess. And then a massive flood of lizards starts <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah, they're drowning in lizards. <laughs> Uh, so have this you, one was have, great. I thought. Have you I seen the sketch, Mister Lizard sketch from Jam? No. Um, it's uh, do you know Jam, the Chris Morris TV show? It was the one after Brass Eye. No. no. Um, it's a 
a character just like calls up a TV repairman to come to his house and he says, I bought this TV off you and it's full of lizards. And he goes, what? And he goes, it's full of lizards. And you just see lizards all over the screen. And the the man, uh, fuck it, YouTube it. I'm not explaining a comedy <laughs> sketch. Um, sorry, William, I, I stopped you. Uh, we left uh, these people drowning in lizards. Yeah, there's a lot of lizard stuff that goes on at this point in the book. Um, so there's a lot of little lizards coming in and it's, and it's filling up like water in the building. And so they, they realize they've been tracked here by, um, or uh, Grammaticus has accidentally led these, these other forces to them. And then they start blaming him for that. Um, Unfairly. The lizards, the lizards start building up. They run upstairs. The um, one man. Yeah, a guy fires some laser shots at them, but then they swallow them up, and then they get into like a bridge that joins the building there, in with another building, and then a giant crocodile uh, <laughs> is, is in that bridge and eats one, um, and then uh, Grammaticus reveals that he's got like a magic ring. Yeah, basically. Uh, no, it's it's totally mechanical. It's given to him by the uh, by the uh, the cabal. And it, it, it's called a digital weapon. <laughs> I was going to say, you're just, you're just thinking of like a Casio thing. <laughs> I'm thinking like, uh, at which point, uh, John Grammaticus pressed play on his Sony Walkman. <laughs> He's got an LCD display. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Grammaticus fucking whipped out a mini disc and just <laughs> put it straight in. Wireless I mean, earphones but- in. Admittedly, those <laughs> those Casio watches with like that could control the TV were considered oh, very powerful at my school. God, and I remember, yeah. <laughs> I remember someone turning off, trying to turn off, like actually successfully doing it, turning off a video that had been put on in like geography <laughs> class or something. Classy using using their uh, their Casio. So um, and when, anyway, it, when that was combined with one of those um, watches with like. A sort of keypad on it, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was what it was. It was one of the <laughs> like grey squishy buttons that you had to like use your pencil to like press buttons in. It just looked yeah. like the most. Uh, th- those were expensive. Those watches. We never got those. Um, and uh, well, anyway, he uses his digital ring to blow up this giant crocodile. Um, they walk past it, and they go outside. And then, a, like a, a really big uh, dragon, it's a yeah, dragon. A monitor lizard comes out of the ground. It's and um, they fire some stuff at it, and then they see other space marines fighting. And uh, Sheer <laughs> uses uh, magic to set it on fire. Um, yeah, and sorry, there's a line here. This this giant wizard. A giant wizard with an extravagantly massive maw, um, which is just a weird use of the word extravagant. Uh, but um, so uh, yeah, there's a line here that that I think sums up in a nutshell one of the recurring themes of our conversation about these books. Um, when um, I'll actually I'll look it up. So there's been at some point in this, this book a reference to the idea that old maps had little notes on the edges that said here be dragons about the areas that people didn't know about um and then so after this massive lizard it says 
Here be dragons, Grammaticus whispered. What? Sheer yelled. And then inside Grammaticus's head, it's like, here be dragons. It was no longer a quaintly phrased notation of warning, no longer the shorthand motto of man's ignorance of the darker places of his universe. Dragons were real, not ambiguous scrolls on fading maps. And it's like, <laughs> we have entered the place in human history where everything has become literal as we <laughs> <laughs> I have written down that exact same quote, and it's followed by the, the phrase, I get it. <laughs> just There's like another... oh my god I, I, how, how stupid do you think we are like <laughs> but fucking hell just, there's some other good good bits coming up uh, on, in that very same way um, anyway oh yeah the, no coming like right up soon so uh, I don't know where the story this was a bit weird because it just sort of ends this scene yeah totally this point. and then you the characters reappear separately yeah. later on and it doesn't really make it clear how I'm sure happened. I'm sure that will in the second half of the book um but uh yeah it uh, I, I I we have no idea how this ends at this point yeah um it cuts to lord commander Namat Jira oh yeah the uh the leader of the war um and he's and he, he's not happy he's he's given off a bit yeah so he's coming down saying that the, the campaign against Mon Wu has been a disaster so far, basically, they're saying. And they should have captured it ages ago. And also, <laughs> just following on from the last discussion, the city is screaming. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's actually Literally. Screaming. Oh, yeah, I, I thought that was, uh, I think, like, probably most people would do. I thought that was metaphor. Nope. So did I. I thought it was like the city is tormented, you know, and... Um, yeah. Screaming in anguish, but no, the city Scream, is actually, Screaming out for help or something, but no, no, yeah. The, the city is screaming audibly um, <laughs> and psychically, though it should be... Oh, that's out. right. Well well remembered, Will. <laughs> on, on on both the planes, the audible and the psychic, <laughs> the city was screaming. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, uh, sorry. And then it's... So it goes on to quite a lot of description of um, this... Uh, general type guy and some of it is quite good but they talk about um, he's got a we mentioned him earlier on as they, it seems to be sort of uh, reference points from Indian sort of names and some references to Indian uh, mythology uh, sorry like Hindu uh, yeah references to Hindu god goddess and um, at some point anyway it comes up that him and his sort of bodyguard are remnants of a a legion a, a renowned old regiment or something that has called, the, they're called the lucifer blacks yeah that has basically ceased to exist in its full form but like some of some of them have gone into other uh, parts of the imperial military as generals and stuff um yeah and it's a so one of these guys comes in and it's like he says it was like to the untrained eye, like their their uniforms would all look alike. But um, <laughs> I, I have this written down as well. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, but, I'm going to mute my mic because I can't I can't listen to this and not laugh. An, an expert in late strife era regimental ephemera would recognize <laughs> the, the, the symbol on one of their arms. <laughs> then it made me think probably amongst the Warhammer fandom there is somewhere out there a real life expert in late strife era regimental <laughs> 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 I, 
And he has a panel at the Black Library Weekender. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this bit is wild. Some of it, like, um, it's like so. There's a casual, a couple of casual mention of slaves here, which I don't know if we've had that before. But um, the Imperium has slaves in it. I don't know if we've heard that before. Sonica visits Honin Mu, and they're clearly very close. Uh, and T says, what happened about the body? Uh, what happened about the infiltration? And she she's, plays it off like, yo, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And she is also, at that point, she's also speaking to her like chief political officer. I mean, this is His name's fire, Boone. Because I got a little bit mixed up here, right? Because like, th- so those, yeah. those ones, him, those guys that are ta- being talked to there are the gene whips who are like, Yep. Yeah, like it says, like equivalent of a political officer. What exactly does that mean? Someone who's just as disciplined within the, the yeah. So, um, anybody who um, sort of strays out of line is thought to uh, maybe harbor seditious thoughts, or uh, might be trying to sort of break the chain of command. Anything like that, they will be rooted out by these gene whips. So yeah, just so, uh, it it keeps the it keeps the status quo in place. So they're they're officers of the Geno Five Two Chiliad, which is the regiment that most of the characters we've discussed are part of. But the yes. the big Ward Commander, he's overseeing the whole military operation on this planet, which yeah. involves multiple regiments. Indeed, and and yeah. his sort of personal bodyguard are the Lucifer Blacks, who are a different. It's also at this point where uh, Boone, the chief political officer, is after John Grammaticus. He is sent to Roxana's apartments where John is hiding because they don't trust her because um, the perceptive nature of these uh, uxors, uh, she has been perceived as holding something back. And so this the, it's the role of political officers to get to the bottom of that because she could be a, a source of insurrection or whatever so uh he goes to snoop around in her apartments while she's at uh the great meeting which is happening which is what we'll, we'll come on to and john chromaticus using his uh power of speech flummoxes them he walks out fully naked dick all out and just goes yeah i've just been sticking it to her <laughs> the scene isn't quite as dreadful as you've just described it like n- there's no actual dicks in anyone's faces or <laughs> and I don't think he used the he used the phrase sticking it to her. <laughs> Thankfully. Namajira, uh, the the chief commander, and a bunch of his other generals are arrayed in their full panoply of ostentatious mentalness. Uh, they're waiting to meet uh, a representative of the Alpha Legion for the first time. And in all the books that we have read so far, the Imperium have appeared as the dour attackers. They're, you know, they're the endlessly pragmatic, not very ostentatious, grey, boring side. And it's the aliens that have the culture and the brightness and the colour. That is not the case here. Do you, do you want to go into detail about some of these people? Well, this was just like an acid trip of a couple of pages. Um, yeah. So the main one is, I mean, this is like something out of 
Flash Gordon when they're all in. <laughs> I've got the uh, Flash Gordon written down just oh, really? because it's so it's so garish and and like you've got this is this uh, villain over here. He's from the world of blah blah blah, and this villain over here, he is from the world, and they're all different, but they're all equally crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, it just seemed crazy. It's I loved it. Like it's really wild. It's like have you seen Jodorowsky's June? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's just reminded me of that sort of thing. Um, and just as an example, I've I've got written down just what Namat Jira was wearing. He's wearing gold plate armor with a fan of ostrich feathers around his head and the ten meter cape of peacock eyes held <laughs> out behind him by his slaves. Liquid gold has been delicately painted onto his face by his cosmeticians, and it is dried to form a tissue thin mask. He held a silver Mughal mace in one hand, the sunlight glinting off its many jewels, and the golden ritual sainty in the other. The torso of his armour was engineered with two extra pairs of cybernetic limbs, and these spread to clutch a pair of daggers and a pair of sabres. And that's just brilliant. That's fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I can see it, but I want, I want that in a film. It's I mean, so amazing. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's kind of surprising, like you say, because you expect like the way this guy's been presented so far is he's just a kind of like I don't know, like a stiff military officer who's yeah. getting pissed off at his um, underlings for not completing their objectives, and um, and he just gets kitted out like this, and you're like, wow. Then like so, this is when they're preparing to meet the Astartes, and <laughs> there was a bit so when. <laughs> When they they met inside like a pavilion or something, and four four starters from the Alpha Legion turn up, and like yeah. a, f- a few of them have sneaked in. They don't even know how they got there, sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and then they get served uh, again sweetmeats, wine, and fruit. And I'm like, do starters ever eat a hot meal? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Based based on what we see in these books, it's always like platters. <laughs> <laughs> like nibbles, you know? <laughs> as they just like pick over the <laughs> the pistachio nuts that are served to them. But also, it did describe the Alpha Legion as eating with nimble finesse. <laughs> <laughs> Vo- private boxing to each other. They just go, oh, another buffet. <laughs> it's like, but keep your discipline, oh, just lads. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but just, yeah, sometimes don't you just want to order a la carte? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, but they're but at the same time they like are are yeah doing it in an incredibly disciplined fashion, even if they might be wearied by you know another another tray of sweetmeats being presented to them. The, this scene is brilliant because, well, brilliant and shit all at the same time in ways that I, I mean I fully approve of. That about sums it up. What that sentence you've just said there is about what this is all about the whole. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant and shit at the same time in ways that we fully <laughs> well maybe not fully um, approve of but uh, generally enjoy yeah but anyway sorry Carl. yeah um it's uh, th- there is a discussion here uh between alfarius and the lord commander about the the sort of nature of the emperor's plan and of compliance and of what the wars are all about there's basically a conversation between like a, a almost like a, a double act between Petch, uh, one of the Astartes 
and Herzog as they just sort of back and forth and basically try and befuddle the Lord Commander with this sort of, uh, what would you call it, undergraduate level philosophy? What this seemed like and what I think it might have been trying to be like is like, you know, like philosophy dialogues that were um, a kind of literary convention of like ancient philosophy texts. Like, yeah, where it would be like, um, you know, people would write something as a dialogue between them and like maybe their mentor philosopher. Uh, So I don't know, I'm just plucking two names out there. It would be like Plato and, you know, Aristotle conversing with one another, but it was, it wasn't like a real conversation. It was just a literary device way out the ideas basically check out this line this is from Petch. no lord i appreciate that, he, that the emperor upholds a teleological scheme for the future <laughs> of man and i will endeavor to uphold it <laughs> beautifully written beautifully delivered <laughs> what a piece of shite like um he wishes to unify and perfect humanity through intense application of martial violence, said Petch. <laughs> we have no quarrel with that approach, said Herzog. It is the only proven way man's destiny has ever been advanced. Mm, yeah, okay, so we can write these lot off as fucking idiots then, that's fine. But then then um, afterwards, like, Alfarius, or the person who's pretending to be Alfarius, we'll probably get to that in a minute, uh, says, oh yeah, I like them to debate philosophy, it's... Uh, for some reason, you know, it's like a thing they encourage in that legion so they would have philosophical debates. But then I don't know if it was just to mess with people's heads or what. I don't know if that is legit or whether it was just... I I find it unbearable. Um, (laughs) And they they also lay into perfection as a stupid aim. You know, it's an impossible thing to even strive for, let alone think you can achieve, which is what we said earlier on. But... um, in a very sort of undergraduate level of philosophy. Um, Grammaticus, at this point, is disguised as one of the platter bearers holding up the buffet. (laughs) (laughs) He's getting in trouble for, like... uh, Yeah, he he can't hear the conversation well enough, so he goes to, like, his... the the chief butler or something. He goes, this this sort of sweet-tasting sauce is going to curdle. Off to the kitchens with you, off to the kitchens. The buffet cannot be ruined. I know, I had to read this a couple of times because it confused me because he was like, what are you complaining about, boy, or something? And um, and to, like, Grammaticus, who's like a thousand-year-old man in reincarnated form, but even in his reincarnated form, I think he does, he's he's not, like, young-looking or that young-looking, but... yeah, I was just having to remember, oh yeah, he can just sort of uh, bluff his way through these situations, yeah. So he's, he stalks away and goes sort of round the the tent and sort of uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones himself through uh, <laughs> lots of different... <laughs> that reference again. Yeah, I know. Um, I was reading uh, this book sometimes thinking, like, what year did this come out? And thinking, like, about contemporary film references because uh yeah that was one that i thought of so so he does sort of slink under all of these beams and uh security lasers and that so he can get a better ear to the ground and listen into uh the conversation that's being had uh, by the alpha legion and the lord commander somebody one of the lucifer blacks yeah i forget that name every time um he one of them comes out and finds him and he almost manages to 
get him to go away through his mind tricks, basically. But he sort of snaps out of it pretty quick and they end up in a fight. And I thought this was actually... I found it sort of more grim because it was more... When it's like, and they all melted in their suits, you're just like, okay, 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 okay whatever, you know. But like, this was like, described in a lot of detail the, the sort of hand-to-hand fight that these two guys had. And then it was like how he like smashed in the other guy's throat. And then it was just nasty, yeah. you know what I mean? Like someone being it like... It is, it is, it, it's, I think it's about the, first, the, the close quarters nature of it. Yeah. But then also the fact that he sort of systematically dismantles this other dude yeah it was he punches him the guts to double over he punches him in the throat to collapse his throat he punches out takes his uh, arm off oh yeah he takes his arm off he punches out his vox thing he 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 puts his eye out he like bursts his eye and then the guy's like bending over and it describes like the the shit that's pouring out of the hole in his eye yeah it is grotesque yeah, yeah, and it, and it says because like the guy's reaching for one of the lasers to to trip the alarm or whatever, and like then uh, Grammaticus chops his arm off, and then like he's worried about the blood spurting off out of his arm will activate yeah. the alarm, and like I think there's something really grim about like the idea of someone being wounded to the extent that they're gonna die, but it's gonna be horrible. I mean, he does obviously kill him quicker, but I mean like the by putting the sword through him but like the the damage he's done to him before that and someone being in that state where they're like just completely they're wrecked basically but they're not actually dead yet it's, it's grim but uh yeah. yeah uh he listens in and hears uh some not particularly consequential uh stuff basically just that they want to use all the psychers that the normal humans have at their disposal in order to to finally defeat the Nerthine and they're like yeah that's fine and the the lead Lucifer Black is called Chain and he goes after uh, John Grammaticus and Omegon one of the Astartes goes with him and they find the body of this person and uh, Omegon being a, a, an Astartes is able to sort of point his finger at certain things and it's clear that it's uh, hand-to-hand combat that has been done and that's been done by a human and how is that possible but the, this bit of blood is from the victim but this bit of blood is actually from the perpetrator so then the Astartes go off about their business and talk with each other and basically guffaw at the the merry japes that they've just had <laughs> uh, pretending to be each other um, yeah. Alpharius has been pretending to be Omegon and Omegon isn't there and uh, one of the Terminators has been pretending to be Alpharius or something. The final bit of uh, what we'll be dealing with in the in the podcast is Sonica is drinking with an old war buddy and he is drinking this sort of moonshine shit and goes to t- goes to take a piss basically and the uh, political officers come up and question him and they think because he's not willing to answer questions uh, that there's something that they need to investigate further and try and sort of take him into custody but he's like nah fuck this and runs off they're about to shoot him and bronzy pulls up in a speeder and says get in i've got something to tell you and he drives them out into the desert for a little bit and introduces them to some bloke called thanner 
or Tanner, T H A N E R. Have we met? We we hadn't met him before, had we? He no, was no. Totally, but but yeah. we had. They had described his regiment before. He's he's one from one of the other regiments that's right. part of this war. Sonica is basically told by Bronzy, "You've got something to see here. Don't fuck it up. You know, don't just listen and hear what has to be said." They ask him a few questions, and he finds out that uh, that night when Bronzy and he reported to Honan Mu about the body, about the the infiltration, that they didn't actually speak with Honan Mu. They had spoken with uh, somebody who had intercepted their communication, and yeah. that the body was in fact uh, theirs. They kept on saying them and they. And it belonged to the group that this guy Thanner and that now Bronzy was part of. And they both showed the uh, brand. The brands are things that the Alpha Legion give to their friends and their operatives who can be helpful. It's like Hydras, isn't it? It's like a many-headed Hydra. Oh, it's a Hydra, that's right, yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to say, at this point, I was like, yeah, don't know what the fuck's going on with that. Like, but... (laughs) We'll see, you know. We'll see. And yeah, there, there's got a there's. It's a it's a weird way for us to leave it, I suppose. But the the whole book is be essentially a spy. It's the their version of a spy story. So um, there are all of these threads waving about that. Hopefully, we'll have a really satisfying conclusion where they're all tied together in a satisfying way. Yeah, um, that would be. That's what happens in good spy novels. Like you say, it's, it's kind of written like a spy novel, and he's obviously set out to, you know, it's all about intrigue, and he has, I think, succeeded in making it intriguing, and he's obviously set out to confuse, and he has succeeded in making it confuse, confusing. But I'm not I, didn't, sure. I didn't think it was confusing. Really? Um, yeah, no, like, I, I, I followed even in the, it. In the course of this conversation, we both seem to have been confused several oh, times. Oh, well, it, like, just from re- trying to remember it, um, yeah. when I was reading it, no, I... I hadn't been confused by it but but we just said at the end there it's just like well we don't really know what's happened why uh what was going on with that hydra thing at the start when someone was killed why the space marines have killed um killed that guy demeter um but a bunch the, of other stuff but we, yeah uh, but i don't find it confusing only because we've only read half the book yeah. There should be, uh, if it is to be a a worthwhile, you know, uh, espionage tale, then everything can't be revealed in a sort of chronological way. There needs to be revelations at different times. And so long as those are actually done, um, I, I'm fine with it. But if, if they, if, if there are all of these threads just left at the end, then it's a, a a failure and a totally pointless dispiriting one <laughs> you know the, the, it'll be a pointless read i think if you're expecting some uh carefully st- structured payoff to all this you may be left mm. you may <laughs> oh, no. you may be left hanging there. um but no wait, i i actually think i i yeah i get your point and obviously there are going to be reveals and stuff in the second half but i actually think he has succeeded in what what he's also trying to do is to the Alpha Legion are trying to befuddle and he's sort of tried to make it feel like that when you're reading it a bit and that's worked but I'm not sure 
it's going to work. I, like I, I reserve judgment on that, but I'm not sure it's going to work. Um, I mean, it was it was an enjoyable book for sure up to a point, but um, we'll see how it pays off. I am actually quite interested to see how they how they finish. I, I am as well, and I have enjoyed this. Um, not as much as the last book uh, that we read about the Dark Angels, but I maybe prob maybe it's been my favorite after that. I think it's been nice that it's again like the last one. It's been different, and I thought. Yeah, the things being this far back was actually gonna like that far away from the main narrative was gonna annoy me, but actually, um, finding it, um, yeah, quite. Enjoyable. I'm finding it a really pleasant change of tone from the from the the original trilogy, but also from the last book, which itself was a change of tone. And so, it, like, the only thing really linking this book and the last book so far is like in terms of at least a new central narrative feature is the cabal like that yeah. seems to be like at, w- at whatever point in the sort of central um planning of the horus heresy series at the time of these two books they were like right we're bringing in this cabal thing um you guys have to introduce it in your books even though they're completely different in most other regards and i i like i like the idea of new genres being drawn in as well so this is a, the an espionage spy tale the last one was like a a sort of knights of old yeah uh, tale fairy and, tale elements yeah yeah so it was um i i look for it makes me look forward to uh other books that that we we come across that are just one-offs yeah seeing and, what else they do yeah yeah, yeah exactly Listeners, this may seem a slightly disjointed podcast. Uh, the conversation has flowed quite well, but we've had some real buggers recording this fucker, and it's going to be an editing masterclass um, yeah. on my part. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, before we sign off, just the the normal old spiel of mine to say to thank everyone for listening. Um, we really appreciate it. We've been getting some really nice uh, reviews on iTunes and stuff, and other. Uh, uh, podcast directories um, it's really it, it brings a, a smile to our uh, cynical faces whenever <laughs> we see those so thanks again uh, please keep on doing that telling friends about it um, all that stuff uh, we really do see like noticeable spikes in uh, listenership whenever people write reviews and that kind of stuff so it's uh, really great uh, you can contact us at uh, Horus Heretics Oh, what's the email address? I don't know. That sounds right. Horseheretics, uh, horseheretics at gmail.com. Something like that. You can contact us. If it's not at that email address, just send it to any email address and I'm sure it'll, <laughs> it, it'll make its way through to us through the, the Gmail pipes. William? Yeah. See you next time. Laters. Laters.